we have come as far as verse 60. I'll begin in verse 59. It says, These things said he in the synagogue, this bread of life discourse, as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured, underline that, would you? When he knew in himself his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some among you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning, you can go back as far as you want with the beginning. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that would believe not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given him of my Father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. 666, the verse there. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go away? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I wish the chapter ended there, but it doesn't. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. So, you know, we're having this picture now. Jesus has come, you know, he fed the multitude, 5,000 women and children. They started to question him. The crowds are coming. They're following him around the Sea of Galilee. Then they're saying, show us a sign. You know, our Moses, you know, they, he gave us manna from heaven. Why don't you do something? So, and it takes him in the bread of life discourse. And he says, you know, they ate manna. They're dead. I'm offering you bread. If you eat it, you're going to live forever. Uh, this is the bread of life that's come down from heaven. And he says, I've come down from heaven to save the world, not just the Jews. And they murmur through that process. And then, of course, he's saying, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're going to have life. And finally, again, he comes back to Moses and says, he died. They ain't manna, they're dead. This bread that I give you, you live forever. Then it tells us that his disciples, many there of his disciples, verse 60, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? Now, his disciples in the picture here are his pupils, his learners. It's going to say many of his disciples forsook him. They are not believers like the 11 of the 12. 
They're not believers, but they're learners. They're disciples or people that are following him, maybe the miracles, maybe the bread, the, the loaves and fishes, whatever. So there's a, a, a group of people following, and now he's saying things, and they're saying, this is hard to bear. The, the, the idea there is it's stiff. Many of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard and offensive, a stiff Saying there is logos, the word. This word is hard. Who, they ask a question, who can hear this? Look, that's the world we live in. To the world we live in, the logos, the word of the Lord is intolerable. It's stiff. It's hard to hear. And they're asking the question, who can ever hear that? Now look, as we look at our context here, these are Jews so when they hear about eating his flesh, drinking his blood, they're not thinking about communion. Okay? The, the Christians, our minds go there right away. There's a larger context here. And, and he's going to say, the, by the way, the flesh profiteth nothing, so much for transubstantiation. But he, he, he's saying here, this is bread. I am that living bread. I've come down from heaven. That's offensive to them. You come down from heaven... You're, you're superior to Moses. What you're giving to partake of is superior than manna. Who is this? Who does they think he is? And it's in that context, eating his flesh, drinking his blood. There's a bigger context here. And it says, this is hard. Who can hear this? How, how can we hear this? What are we going to do with this? This is too much for us. He's, they're saying here, and Jesus then asks... He knew in himself they were murmuring, they were grumbling. He said unto them, Doth this offend you? Are you stumbling over this? Look, the world that we're living in, unbelievers, again, they're the same. They're still stumbling over the same thing. Uh, does this offend you? Scandalon, scandalizo. It's the part, it's, it's, 30 times in the New Testament, only twice in John. The scandalon was the piece of the trap where the bait was attached. And it has to do with the trap falling or falling into the snare. It's translated offense most often in the New Testament. But Jesus said, is this a snare for you? You can't handle this. You're being trapped here. The fact that I'm talking about coming down from heaven. You can't deal with that. The fact that I'm saying your fathers ate manna from Moses, they're dead. You can't handle that. The fact that I'm asking you, you're going to have to ingest the living bread or you're not going to have life. You can't handle that. He's asking that, you know. We hear in the last days that we're living in, Second Timothy says, there will be those ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. It surrounds us. The world we're in. This is hard. Who, who can hear this? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured, that world, the word there is grumbled, at it, he said... Does this offend you? Is this hard for you? Now look, you take notice there. Um, he uses this word murmuring, which is grumbling. Uh, 
And is, does this offend you? Is it in a scenario where you're stumbling in your life and my life? Grumbling is always stumbling. Make a bumper sticker out of it. Grumbling is always stumbling. If you're grumbling about something spiritual related to Jesus, whether it's his word, his spirit, the body of Christ, is he fair? Why'd they let that one in? I have I'd have known that. I've never joined. You know, when we're grumbling, we are stumbling. And, and, and they're grumbling. They're murmuring about this. It's kind of grating against their religiosity that they have walked in, that they've had pride in, and Jesus says, you're murmuring against this? Does this offend you? Now look how he answers it. What? And if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up, and notice how he ends that, where he was before, which speaks of preexistence. Look, this is one of the things that offends them. They're stumbling with over in verse 33, Jesus said, for the bread of God is he, masculine, which cometh down from heaven, notice, and giveth life to the world, not just to Israel. In verse 38, I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Verse 41, we got the grumblers again. And the Jews then murmured at him, the reason, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Verse 42 they said, this is Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How is it that he can say, I came down from heaven? Verse 50, he says, this is the bread which came down from heaven. And if a man eat thereof, he shall never die, shall not die. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If a man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life again of the world. Verse 58, he says, this is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. So there's a repeated thing here that's grating on them. It tells us clearly they were murmuring about this idea of him being divine, being supernatural, asking them to partake of him. If you don't eat my flesh, if I don't satisfy your thirst and your hunger, if you don't satisfy it there, you don't have any life. I'm the living bread. I came down from heaven and my coming satisfies the need of the whole world, not just of Israel. And they're stumbled at that. You can't handle this? You can't deal with that? You, you don't know what to do with the idea that I came down? What are you going to do with the idea that I went up? What an if you should see the Son of Man ascend. He says, you're, st you're stumbling at this, you're offended at this. What if, you, what if the, you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Again, reiterating his preexistence, his divinity that he came down. Now look, for you and I, it's not offensive, is it, that he came down? Anybody offended that he came down? There are people offended about that idea all around us, that he came down. And I'm not offended the idea he went back up. Are you? Just one person over here. 
Because, you know, there's a rule. What goes up must come down. Spurgeon, be patient. Establish your hearts. Be patient for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. You know, I'm not offended at all that he came down in the incarnation, that he rose from the dead, he ascended in glory, and that he is coming any day. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, how, how much in crazier can it get? You know, they're, they're trying to tell first graders and second graders what to believe while they're in kindergarten. The rest of the world. You know, it's, it's just insane what's going on out there. He says, these things offend you? What if you see the Son of Man going up instead of coming down? He said, it is the Spirit that quickeneth, that is giving life. The flesh is, is profiting, ETH there is presently profiting nothing. The Spirit today presently giving life, the, f the flesh presently profiting nothing at all. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The words, remata, the things that he says to them. So they struggled, said this saying, this logos, the word of God in the beginning was the word. The word became flesh, dwell among us, the logos. Here he says, you're struggling with this say, saying, with the logos. And then here he says, but the words I speak to you, Ramada, that, that's the word of God applied to a very specific thing. He said, the word I speak to you, th those things are spirit. It, it quickens and, and, and it gives life. So again, you know, living in this day and age, it says, he says, there are some here that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. He knows that right from the beginning. And he said, therefore, unto them, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. So he, he addresses the whole thing. They're offended. Don't like what he said. Really, this stumbles you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend? You don't like the idea that he came down. If you see him ascend, you're going to have to realize he did come down if he goes up to where he was before. And he said, the things I'm saying to you are spiritual. You know, it's not just a, it's not the metaphor or the literal translation of eating my flesh and drinking my blood. What I'm saying to you is spirit. And these words give life. And then it says, and he knew while he was saying that, there were many that didn't believe. And in light of that, he looks at him and says, look, no man can come unless it's given to him of my father. And he basically says, humankind, mankind is in two categories those who come and those who don't. Heaven, those who come and those who don't. It isn't everything we see happening around us that really matters. 
that's on the front page, that takes all the precedent over everything. What takes precedent in heaven is those who come and those who do not. That's what matters. Because Washington's not going to solve the problems. A new world order won't solve the problems. Choice or pro-life ain't going to solve the problems. Doesn't mean we're not supposed to have convictions. But the blessed hope has nothing to do with everything that our present world is striving after that thinks this will make things better. It isn't going to happen. There are only those who come and there are those who don't. It's interesting, he says, no man can come. Tells us in Ephesians that very thing. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. No man can come. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He says, no man can come unto me. Then he says, except it were given. Well, that's unfair. It says in Ephesians, it's all of grace, it's a gift. Then what's this deal? No man can come unless it's given. Well, here's how it's given. He says in Romans, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So both things are here. Yeah, no man comes unless it's given to them of the Father. There, there is God's sovereignty and and we can't brag about our faith. It's the gift of God. It's grace. And it has to be given to us. How is it given to us? By the presentation of the gospel. These words are spirit and life. Nobody's going to hear. Unless there's a preacher, unless somebody shares, it doesn't come to us. What they're rejecting here is the word of God. The logos, the rhema. They're rejecting it. They don't want to hear it. And the Lord says here, there's, nobody can come unless it's given to them. These two categories of humankind. And it says, after he said that, from that time, many of his disciples went back. They walked no more with them. Many of his disciples, not the twelve. Then Jesus said unto the twelve... Now, by the way, it's the only time in John's gospel when Jesus specifically talks to the twelve. The only time in the gospel. It says, then Jesus said to the twelve, will you also go away? It's not so much a question like it sounds in the Greek. It's kind of like you will not also go away Will you? It's more almost of a, a statement. It questions and affirms at the same time that it's asked here. And he's speaking to them alone. You're not going to go back because the other ones have said when they walked no more with him, the idea is they went back. They went back to their homes, their businesses, their whatever they did, their religious, you know, all of that stuff. And he says, you're not going to do that too, are you? Affirming that they won't and asking at the same time. It's a very interesting structure. 
you're not going to go back either. Look, he's going to say to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What other way is there? No man comes to the Father but by me. It's beautiful. I think it's Weiss in his uh, translation of the Greek. It's emphatic there, so it's kind of like, I encounter distinction to all others and the way. I encounter distinction to all others and the truth. I encounter distinction to all others and the life. And then the tenses change. No man has ever come. No man is coming today. And no man will ever come to the Father but by me. You're not going to go away from the way also. You're not going to leave. You're not going to go. Are you going to go back? Are you going to remain with the popular? Are you going to go with the multitude? Are you going to find it easier with the unbelieving world? You don't like the heat? Look, I'm telling you, young folks, if you're in school today, you're going to take a beating. If you believe in morality, you believe in Christ, you, you actually believe in something, the, the world is against that. The world walks away from it. Our world is just like this crowd, doesn't want to hear about it, doesn't want to hear, and, and, and God's heart is broken because he so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son to whoever would believe would not perish. Jesus said he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The insanity that surrounds us is breaking the heart of Almighty God. And he made the sacrifice that is beyond any sacrifice that has ever been or ever will be made. And yet the world goes in that direction. The sad thing is when Christians decide to be whatever's out there so they don't take the heat, And Jesus says, you going to go away too? The multitudes have gone. Will you go away also? You're surrounded, you and I, every day by a multitude that's forsaking the Lord. He asked the question, will you also go away? Look, it's hard. That's why the body of Christ is important. That's why it's so wonderful for us to get together because once a week you get around a bunch of people that are as crazy as you are for believing what we believe. You're going to go away as well. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Simon Peter answers and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? If we turn away from you, where are we going to go from here? You know, Jeremiah, on the behalf of the Lord, spoke to Israel of old, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You know, in that part of the, the world, and it was an example they understood, that there was so little water springing up, that was called living water, if it had a source. Most of the time there were cisterns that would collect the rainwater. Uh, you can still drink out of those cisterns today. You can get your protein in the morning from drinking that water. It's filled with all kinds of moving things. Uh, but the idea is that your cisterns 
don't hold anything. You've turned away from the living waters and you've turned to what men are collecting that can never satisfy. The idea is that what you're going to do. He challenges them. And here in John, he says, well, are you going to go away also? And Peter says, no, no, look, where are we going to go? Where is there to go? To whom shall we go? It, it is, and I don't think Peter's saying, look, we've kind of racked over this in our minds. And we, uh, we, we were hoping we would find something else, but we didn't. So where else are we going to go? I don't think he's saying that at all. You know, you're a Christian. You're born again here today. Sometimes we get hurt. Sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we feel like that's it. I'm done. Am I really a believer? I'm taking off for a week or two or eight or 20. But where are we going to go? Who else is the words of eternal life? You're going to go to Buddha? That'll fix everything. Krishna? Confucius, Marx, Lenin, Darwin, Plato, TikTok. <laughs> Who else has the words of eternal life? Where are we going to go? And he says then, you know, and you have to understand, it tells us in the Gospels, the common people heard him gladly. This was not, you know, placed on some spiritual plane where people couldn't embrace it and believe it and take hold of it. And Peter understood. He's a fisherman. He says, where else are we going to go? No one else has the words of eternal life. And then he says this, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We believe and are sure. Very important order of words there. We believe and are sure. They're both perfect tenses. We have come to a settled place where we believe and we're continuing to believe. And because of that, we have settled to the place where we are sure and we continue to be sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the Nowhere else to go. He says this, we believe, and because we believe, we're sure. Belief in the spiritual realm always comes before believing. Men must, in this world, they want to make sure before they believe. The divine truth, divine order, is never known except through belief. Look, the natural man, our world, says seeing is believing. The Bible says no. Believing is seeing. Because the thing that Christ is putting before them of the living bread of life is not seen except through faith. We believe first. Then our assurance comes. Then we are sure it's an interesting picture. You know, we're told this in the book of Hebrews. It says, it says, through faith, we understand 
that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things that do appear. We believe, and because we believe, we're sure. It's through faith we see things properly. It's through faith we understand ourselves, the world around us, the destiny of the church, the coming of the Antichrist, the expectation of the rapture, the kingdom of God, the holy city Jerusalem with walls of jewels and streets of gold. It's, it's by believing all of that becomes real. Because I had not seen, ear had not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But his spirit, the words I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. His spirit, Paul says, has made those things real to us. So please, the fishermen, the farmer, the common people, they heard him gladly. And they believed. Believing in the Son of God, that Christ is the Son of the living God, doesn't come from listening to seminary professors or theologians argue out theology. It doesn't come from reading the latest and the greatest book on Christian origin or evidences. Not that we should all study to show ourselves rightly dividing the, the word. We should do that. But what he's saying here is this is, it's, it's not a matter of you have evidence then you believe. The truth is you believe, then you have evidence. For those of you here this morning that don't know Christ, you're never going to know Christ by trying to gather data. What he asks of every generation, you trust me. You believe, and after that you will be sure. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived by the Spirit, said the words of the wise are as goads, as nails, fastened by the masters of the assemblies, which are given by one shepherd. They come from one place, the words of the wise. And further, by these, my son, be admonished, because of making many books, there is no end. And much, stud much study can be weariness to the flesh. Paul himself, where we are on Wednesday nights, as he stands before Festus and Agrippa, it says, And he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. Paul the apostle was known in, in secular history. Gamaliel said, I couldn't keep Saul of Tarsus in books. And Saul standing there, Paul standing in front of him saying, it wasn't that. It wasn't I was in the school of Gamaliel. It, it, it wasn't that I studied. It wasn't that I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. It wasn't any of that. He's telling them what it was, is I was on the road to Damascus to destroy this very thing. And a light shone round about me, brighter than the noonday sun. I fell to the ground and I heard in my own language, my own dialect. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? All of that other learning had nothing to do with it. 
Yes, we should learn, we should read. But what he's saying here is these words of life, the common people received it gladly. They listened to what was being said. You know, it's interesting. I have one of my favorite authors, not contradicting what I've just told you, Campbell Morgan, who was a pastor in England at Westminster Chapel for a number of years. And he was a pastor, so I kind of like to read him. A number of years ago in, in Israel, we were trying to do some concerts here. The attendance was not, you know, just, you know. And I'm in England, and sometimes when I get away from the church, I see it a little more clearly. And I'm saying, Lord, what do I do here, you know? I'm, I'm getting old. I must be 38, you know. And, uh, you know, what do we do with the church? How do I move forward, Lord? God, I, I, I don't want to just try stuff. What do I do? And I felt like the Lord said, just teach my word. Camel Morgan's wife, after he died, found a file of all these questions that were written to him by other pastors, letters that came in. And what he would do then is he would write a letter back to them to answer their question. And then he would make an extra copy, typewriter, have a copy machine, and put it in a file. So his wife wrote a book called This Was His Faith. And it's all these different categories in the table of contents and, and, and all of this. And there's the, the, the section on the Word of God ends with this letter where someone asked him, what are the books that most influenced him? And he said, you have to understand, I am primarily a man of one book. It isn't that I haven't read others. I've read hundreds, probably thousands. But I am a man of one book, and I live by the verse from that book my father gave me when he baptized me at 13, Proverbs 3, 6. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. And as I read that, I thought, Lord, just confirm that in me. Let me be a man of one book. About two weeks later, somebody gives me this book by Camel Morgan. I gave it to Roby because he was a musician, but he was staccato, uh, soprano. He was taking all these musical things and making spiritual application. But when I got it and paged through it, something fell out of it. And I opened it up. And it was a letter from Campbell Morgan, dated. And it said, I primarily, I'm a man of one book. I have it framed in my office. I have the letter that the book talks about. And just saying, Lord, what do I, and he just has often said to me again, teach my word. Doesn't need your help. People who think they need to help it don't understand inerrancy and inspiration. It is alive and it is powerful. Teach it. We believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. It is simple faith. They said this saying is hard. This logos, this word, this is hard for us to listen to. And Jesus says, really, does this stumble you? What and if you see the Son of Man ascend? You're offended that he came down? What are you going to do if you see him go up where he was before? The words I speak to you, their spirit and their life. And he said that knowing that 
that many of them didn't believe, and he said that knowing that he would be betrayed. He knew the one that would betray him. And he says, understand, nobody can come to me unless it's given to him of the Father, which probably offended them more. And then it says, the multitudes began to leave. They walked away from him. Couldn't hear the logos, the word. And then Jesus looks at the 12 and he said, now, you guys gone too? You out of here? And Peter, thankfully, says, where do we go? Who has the words of eternal life that we have every week here as we gather? And he said, we believe and are sure. We have come to the settled position of believing. And because of that, we've come to the settled believing of being sure that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Are we settled on that this morning? Do we know that? You know, there's lots of things out there people ask. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know the answer. I don't know what to do with Washington. I don't know what to do with Ukraine. I don't know what to do with this. You know, and that's okay. But if I say I know this, everybody wants to blow up. I don't know much, but I do know one thing. That Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. I do know that. That's in my heart. You know, he's asking his disciples, what are you going to do with that? You're going to go, the whole world has traveled away. They're, they've stepped away from this. They can't handle it. That's where the popular are. That's where the cool are. That's where the woke are. That's where everything is happening. Are you going to leave also? You're going to go away as well. I wish that's where it ended. It's a great ending there. Doesn't. Then Jesus answered, have not I chosen you twelve and one of you is a devil. It's the only time Jesus ever uses that phrase of a human being. There were demons that he, he encountered. But he said, I've chosen you 12. Because Peter's saying, we believe, we know. And he's saying, really, Peter? I, I picked 12 of you, and one of you is a, is a devil. About six months after this, he would betray Jesus. One of you is a devil. And and. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, separating from the other Judas, the other disciple. For he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. And you, you know, you, you, you come to the others, you think, well, what's the point? Why, why pick him? You should have got somebody who'd been good on the team instead of what's the point of. And if he wasn't going to get saved, why pick him? If he wasn't going to listen to you, why pick him? Why is he part of the crew here? What is the deal? Those are all questions I don't know the answers to. He's an enigma. Was he really human? Did he get saved before he took his last breath? I don't see any evidence of that. I do know this. In John 17, in the Lord's high and priestly prayer, it says, while I was with them in the world, talking to the Father, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. None of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So there is a divine ingredient in all of that. I can't put parameters on it. I've got enough, to, you know, 
I get enough to worry about when he talks about anger and stupidity and flesh. And, you know, that can keep me busy when I look in the mirror for the rest of my life. Amen. But we have these great promises. This chapter comes to a close. I encourage you to read ahead into the seventh chapter. Um, But seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing as far as the Lord is concerned. And we can never see things clearly. The lens is just not there. We can never see things clearly unless we believe first. If you're not willing to step out of the boat onto the water, you'll never experience who he is. And what he's able to do. Because you'll stand in the boat and say, well, there's gravity. I can't. I'll sink as soon as I go out. You know, that's not going to work. You know, somebody else do it first. That way I'll know, you know, seeing is believing. No, no, no. If you ain't willing to step out of the boat onto the water, you're never going to enjoy the rescuing Savior in his authority. Let's stand. Let's pray together. And if you don't know Christ today, I encourage you when the service is over, get down here. We'd love to pray with you. Love to give you a copy of the scripture. Love to see your destiny, your eternal destiny change. Father, I know you've overheard all of this, Lord. And we, we, we grind through this. We look at it, Lord. And, and yet you encourage us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. You tell us that in the ages to come, you're still going to be revealing your mercy, your grace to us. So, Lord, this day, give us the measure we are able, Lord, to ingest, Lord. Let us partake of, Lord, you as the living bread, Lord. Let us drink of you today, Lord. Let your presence, your life, your word be real to us today, Lord. There are many things that pull us in many different directions. But Lord Jesus, no one else has the words of eternal life. And we believe, Lord, and we are sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. We love you, and for your glory, amen.